Corrode's the cruise ship's jewellery, you gloopy stewards. Welcome to the Blind Buy podcast. There's a strong chance that you're a brand new listener to this podcast. And because of that, I have, I've made this... This episode is going to be accessible and not too strange. But if you want something a bit more fragrant, a bit spicier, a little bit more piquant, then go back to an earlier episode. The reason I'm going to have some new listeners this week is because this Sunday on RT1, if you live in Ireland, RT1, I'm on... There's a programme called The Meaning of Life, which is used to be presented by Gay Byrne, who was like this iconic Irish broadcaster who's since passed. But The Meaning of Life is... It's a TV show about about the meaning of life. It's about spirituality. It's about religion. And the new presenter is Joe Duffy. And Joe Duffy is an Irish broadcaster... Or, sorry, broadcaster, who presents the Joe Duffy show, which is like... It's what's replaced confession. In Catholic Ireland, we all used to go to confession. So instead now we have the Joe Duffy show, which is a daytime radio show, where people ring up and they complain, and Joe Duffy listens, and it's this weird, unique Irish phenomenon, and we all partake in this collective confession, and that's what the Joe Duffy show is. Well, Joe Duffy is now presenting the meaning of life, and me and Joe talk for a half an hour about... The type of stuff that I usually speak about on this podcast and the reason I agreed to do this TV show is because I, I've never been given an opportunity on RTE to speak the way I speak on this podcast. I've been interviewed on RTE, I've been on talk shows, I've been on The Late Late Show, but you're only given seven minutes and it's real. you're looking for sound bites. You can't speak about anything with any level of depth or time or space. So I was given that opportunity and it was really fun. It was a lot of fun um, just talking about death, spirituality. I mean, when I say spirituality, meaning, talking about meaning and talking about psychology. That's what we did. So I'm looking forward to that going out and I'm looking forward to, do you know what I'm looking forward to? Me, like the first question he obviously asks me is, why am I wearing a bag on my head? And I will explain it in very rational terms. I wear a bag on my head because I want privacy. I'll go through it all. And even as I do it, old men will get onto Twitter and say, why is this Egypt wearing a bag on his head? I can't take him seriously with a bag on his head. And they will say that while I explain why I wear a bag on my head and I look forward to that so that's Monday or sorry no Sunday at 10.30pm on RTE1 if you want to see me chatting to Joe Duffy I'm also on this Thursday I don't know the exact time but on RTE2 there's a documentary called The Origins of Irish Hip Hop and I'm a part of that documentary speaking about the rubber bandit stuff Speaking of rubber bandits, this week um, we released two fucking songs on the internet, songs and videos. If you want to see them, go to the Rubber Bandits YouTube page. The songs are called Bertie Ahern and Waiting. Um, for the pa- oh, we, we Over the past two years, we were both tipping away, making two pieces of, pieces of, uh, pieces of music and video. Um, I was cracking away on the music and Mr. Chrome was cracking away on the video. And we were both doing it in our spare time because it's just, you know, music, the music industry, as I've mentioned it many times, you can't earn a living from the music industry. It's, it's a very painful industry because to make a song and to make a video is, is hugely time consuming. It takes a huge amount of, it takes a lot of money takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort and then the payback for that is tiny it mightn't even succeed so the music industry is fucked so one thing we always hated about doing the rubber bandits was 
making songs and video videos, but n- having to need them to succeed because if they don't succeed, you don't make your money back, you don't earn a living. This time, we didn't do that. This time, I've got my podcast, I've got my books, Mr. Crom's got a full-time job outside of art, and we don't need any more to, to like do the rubber band. It's professionally. We don't need that. So we decided, let's make some new songs and new videos just for the joy of making them. Let's make something because we like it. And if, if, if it doesn't even get any YouTube views, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we don't rely upon this as our source of income. So that's what we did. They took two years because we were doing it in our spare time. You know how fucking busy I was the past two years. Like writing a fucking book, doing a BBC series, this podcast and touring. So on my downtime with my cans, that's when I was working away on the music. So we're really we're really proud of the two pieces. Party of Harn and Waiting and they're on YouTube both really proud of them really happy with them and they're weird and we don't care if people like them or not they're, we've made something the, for for ourselves for ourselves and that's how art should be and it's just shit in 2020 that it's like we have to get to our 30s and to have other streams of income in order to be able to do that because there used to be a time in the music industry when bands would just a record label would fund this shit and a a record label would fund an artist not necessarily to succeed but to have the space to fail there was artists in the 70s signed to six album deals and the labels knew that album one two and three might sell nothing but they're like no 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 no. we believe in the talent and we're going to allow these artists we're going to fund them to fail because we understand that failure is an essential part of succeeding. But if you're in a situation where you're an independent artist and it's like, in order for us to earn money, we have to do a tour next September. So that means all summer we have to work on songs and videos and they must succeed. Sure, you can't. How the fuck? You can't. As soon as you decide to create art and there's this big pressure goal where it's like this has to be popular as soon as you engage in that type of creativity then it's very hard to create good art because you're creating from a place of fear and threat if the threat is these pieces of work that we make if they're not good nobody will come to the gig then that's it you're fucked And the thing is too, in the 70s, people would buy music. So even if, like, Jesus Christ, I think of an album. Lou Reed had an album called Metal Machine Music, which he literally, he was trying to get out of a record contract, I believe. He just left his guitar on an amplifier for two hours and and printed it to two vinyls. And it sold millions of copies. Because people didn't know. They're just like, here's Lou Reed's new double album. And they bought it, and it was two hours of, of a guitar resting in an amp. Which some people say was incredibly unfair to the consumers. And it is to an extent if you're paying money. But if a band now puts releases fucking songs and videos, you can consume them for free on Spotify or on YouTube. And if they don't work... And it doesn't mean that they're bad or if they're good. If people don't like them, then that band isn't going to receive any return on their investment when they embark on a tour and they might end up losing money. And that's the reality of the music industry. And that's what kind of... That was my 20s. I spent my fucking 20s doing that and ended up living on 50 quid a week and having... A few pieces of work that I'm really not happy with because they were created from a place of fear and insecurity rather than created from a place of what's the best piece of work. Like that's why I enjoyed my fucking book so much. When I wrote my first book in 2017, I was creatively burnt out 
from rubber banded stuff. And the thing with a book is because a book is something physical that you purchase. I had the freedom to make what I wanted to make. It it doesn't with a book kind of the cover sells it you know what I mean or a, a review will sell it so books are a little bit like the old school record industry so these two new rubber banded songs anyway you'll see you'll find them on YouTube Waiting and Bertie Ahern they're both two sides of the same kind Bertie Ahern is consciously abrasive and dark Um, the influences would be like post-punk type shit like The Fall or there's a bit of Pixies in there. Primus. Barty Harn is abrasive. It it doesn't necessarily want to be liked. If you know what I mean. It it's sometimes a piece of art is allowed to be ugly. Do you know what I mean? And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Heavy metal music is ugly. Music which uses ugly sounds. Sounds that are distorted. Are excessively loud or excessively fast so that's what that is and then the other song Waiting that's kind of unapologetic pop now by pop I mean there's pop music and there's popular music popular music is whatever music happens to be popular and whatever music happens to be popular isn't necessarily pop pop is a style whereby you're you're trying to make the catchiest piece of work possible you're looking for maximum amount of hooks. It's a kind of a heritage art form in that it, it abides by good songwriting. But ultimately with pop, it's like you want to make something that as soon as someone hears it, it's stuck in their head for the rest of their day. And you want to do that with, across multiple hooks if you can. So waiting is the song and the video are one. It's not, a, it's, this is very pretentious. It's not a pop song, but rather it's a piece of art that uses the language of pop in order to achieve its aims as a piece of art. And that includes the video with it. A song that's like catchy enough to end up on the radio, but they could never play it on the radio because the video is so disturbing. So that's what that is. And there are two pieces that we made over the course of two years just to make something that we bought like. That's it. Nothing else. And if they don't even get any views, it doesn't matter. There's no consequences. There's no consequences. It doesn't matter. Because we have other shit going on. I've got my podcast, my Twitch. I'm going to start writing another book soon. Chrome's got a full-time job. We do not need these people. This, these, we don't need this work to succeed. We don't even need anyone to like it. And that feels fucking amazing. And the last time... Last time we had that was before anyone knew who we were. When we were 19, making music just for the crack of it and putting it up on MySpace for free because we never thought anyone would listen to it. But then as soon as you start doing gigs and it becomes a career and the internet has taken all possible monetization away from music, then you're trapped into that toxic cycle. You have to have a hit. This has to get half a million views. And if it doesn't, then you're not making money and you're actually going to end up paying money for what you invested in the songs. Um, Support your favourite fucking musicians, basically, lads. If you listen to an independent artist, don't just stream them on Spotify. Do they have a band camp? Um, Can you buy their merch? Merch and band camp right now is very good for artists because there's no gigs. It's a tough time. So we're we're quite privileged to be able to fucking make these two things. To have separate income, income streams and to be able to make a pair of fucking videos. We would not have been doing that in our 20s. So for this week's podcast, I I wanted to create something a bit more, a bit accessible for any newer listeners. So what I did was, I went down to Instagram and I asked people, do you have any questions that are specific to mental health? And I got lots um, maybe 500, about five or 600, mostly direct messages because the people asking the questions wanted to remain anonymous and overwhelmingly from women 
rather than men. Now, I don't know why that is. It's probably the old classic of, of men not even wanting to speak out. I just... Yeah, it is. It has to be because I've gone to Instagram before and said, do you have questions for the podcast? And it would be 50-50. And men would ask questions about things. But this time I said, do you have questions for the podcast which relate specifically to your mental health, your emotional state, whatever's going on with you? And then about 90% women are where the stuff is coming from. So what I did is I'm choosing questions that I'm ethically okay with answering. Anything that has to do with like, that's too deep into mental health stuff that's related to medication, we'll say. I'm not going to speak on that. That's That would be irresponsible. I'm not a professional. So I'm not going to speak, I'm not going to address any question which should be answered by a fucking professional because that's irresponsible of me. So instead, I'm answering questions that are more existential and something that I can relate back to my experience so that when I speak about mental health, I'm doing it ethically and safely and with the honest understanding, which I'm not qualified. I did study a little bit of psychotherapy back in the day, but the only qualification I have is my own mental health and my own personal journey and how I apply psychology to me and I'm the authority on me and I'm the authority on my journey and I'm not an authority on anyone else's mental health and certainly not anything to do with medication or clinical psychology. I wouldn't dream of being so irresponsible as to say that. All I'd say is is contact a professional. So I got some kind of fucking... There's a few few of these questions that I, I think... I don't even know how to how to answer them, but I'm gonna read them out. Just just so we can see what what can I say about them. One that definitely stuck stuck out for me was a message from a woman called Julie, and Julie says, "Over the years, I've never dealt with my childhood or adolescent years, which caused me to make so many mistakes in relationships and see no self worth." But I spent the best part of a year in counselling recently to overcome my demons. And I thought I was in the best mental state I ever was. Alas, that is now being tested at the greatest possible strength. I'm in a new relationship close to a year. And I thought it was the be all and end all for me. I thought this was it. Wedding bells central. He treated me like a queen in every aspect of our relationship. I recently found out he was unfaithful with an ex-partner of his. Now this particular individual is one of the most toxic kind and is gifted at manipulation so I don't have all fault aimed at him. He showed such remorse for his actions, genuine pain for what he had done. I feel stronger because I worked so hard at myself but I don't know if I'm making the right decision by staying in this relationship. I love him more than all the stars in the sky. He made me feel as though I was like the rarest of gems, pulled from the dirt to be allowed to shine bright in this dull world. Nothing excuses what he's done, I know. I know this full well, but I don't feel as though I can throw it all away because I put my mind, body and soul into him. He did wrong, but he has made such an effort since this became known, and I suppose that's something he doesn't have to do either unless he was truly sorry he has told me through endless tears that he loves me and wants nothing more than to share his life with mine and will do all he can to prove that i know some listeners and even yourself may say why stay when you've been struck with the utmost betrayal but i've never felt a connection so strong with anyone in my life it sounds crazy i know since he managed to cheat but i know he returns those feelings to me I know this is a bit scattered. I don't really know what to say at all, but I'd appreciate the advice. Just please help a sister out. If you do decide to read this, I'd like to remain anonymous, please. No one needs to know any of this. So her real name isn't Julie. I mean... Right, so I can't can't give any, any advice around that, right? I wanted to read it out. Because I get a sense 
from what Julie is saying, there's just certain words that you're writing down, Julie, that let me, that let me know that, like, it's, it's like you know certain shit, but you won't say it, and you're waiting for confirmation. Like, alright, first off, right, what's the elephant in the fucking room? He's been unfaithful, right? Now, monogamy, look, monogamy is fucking, humans aren't monogamous. Humans aren't monogamous. Monogamy is really difficult, okay? If you're to have a a long-term adult relationship with someone, you do have to, both people have to observe their, their rules around monogamy. By which I mean, an adult relationship has to have a degree of flexibility. It's okay to have, take it to CBT, it's okay to have a strong preference, a strong preference that your partner is faithful, okay? But if you create a black and white rule, right, in an adult relationship, if you create a black and white rule, if this person cheats on me, they are scum and they don't love me and fuck them. If you have that a really, really rigid rule about faithfulness, chances are it's, it's, you're going to end up incredibly disappointed. So because humans aren't monogamous. Humans aren't monogamous and people who really love each other sometimes cheat on each other. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying that it's it's a good thing to do, but it's a reality. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes people who really love each other, either one person gets fucking drunk, whatever. Sometimes that shit happens. And if you if you want to have an adult long term relationship, you have to have the space where they whereby that can be allowed in without the fear of everything breaking apart, right? While still maintaining a strong preference for faithfulness, right? You can still have a strong preference to it. It's just, I'm bringing CBT into this. Anytime you have a rigid demand, a, a must and a should, then the level of pain you'll experience, if it does happen, will be quite extreme. And then you'll also create these you set up these fucking rules for yourself where it's like, oh, well, that's it. They were at an office party and they got drunk and they shifted someone. But I've got a rule that, that, that that's a line that can't be crossed. And now you're in this position where you can't have dialogue to work through it. You're now like, well, I have to break up with him now. That's not how life works. Life isn't black and white like that. People try their best to be faithful, but sometimes sometimes people fuck up. And I know, especially if you've ever been fucking cheated on, we've all been cheated on, it's not fun, very hurtful, it's a feeling of rejection, it brings up all your insecurities, so you're probably listening and some people are thinking, no, people who cheat are the fucking worst and it's terrible and it's awful. Well, if that's that's your belief and that's a rule that you carry with you, if you try to have a, a long-term adult relationship, you're gonna you're gonna be really, really heartbroken. Instead of having, instead, you you move. Instead of being rigid, you move to a place of flexibility, and you're still entitled to not want to be cheated on. You're still entitled to request a consensual monogamous relationship, and to have that as a strong preference. But by by having a strong, realistic, flexible preference. It means that if it does happen, there's now at least a fertile ground to discuss what happens going forward instead of an, a, a really tense black and white situ- mutually assured destruction. That's what it is. If you have mutually assured destruction means if that person cheats on me, well that's it, all over, done. Well, how, how do you do that if you're still in love with the person, even if they did cheat? So you have to move it to an adult position. So that's just a general thing. But one, one, a few of the words that you're using there, Julie. Like, one thing that would jump out to me there that I, I would take a look at. If I, if I had written this and I was you, 
he your your fella got with his ex partner, right? And I quote he treated me like a queen in every aspect of our relationship. I recently found out he was unfaithful with an ex partner. This particular individual is one of the most toxic kind and is gifted at ma- manipulation. So I don't have all fault aimed at him. That's the bit now that if I found if I caught myself saying that I I would I would analyze that aspect of my language. All right, he's an adult. Even if your one is manipulative. Even if she's conniving, even if she sought him out, he's an adult. He made a choice. Okay, you can't. It's like you're minimizing heart. You're minimizing heart and trying to. Yeah, he's an adult. He made a choice. All right, and you have to hold him accountable to that choice if you intend to move forward and have rational dialogue around it. But Julie, I think you wrote that because you know it. And there's a few things that you've written in your message to me. And I think you write them because you know them to be true. Um, One thing in particular. I love him more than all the stars in the sky. He made me feel as though I was like the rarest of gems pulled from the dirt to be allowed to shine shine bright in this dull world. world. I mean, you're referring to yourself there as, as as a dirty gem. Why are you calling yourself a dirty diamond? A filthy ruby? A beige jade? You know, you're knowingly and poetically and symbolically referring to yourself as something which which doesn't have intrinsic value. Like, you're, you're not. You're, you're a human being and we're all shining gems. Every one of us, we all have wonderful beautiful intrinsic value that can't be taken away from us right that we simply have for being alive and you can't compare yourself to other people all you can be is the best version of you but you can't we all have intrinsic worth so there's no such thing as i mean if you're referring to yourself there as as you know you you are you feel like the rarest of gems allowed to shine bright in this dull world Allow yourself to be a gem that shines bright in the dull world, but no one's pulling you up from the dirt. There's no dirt to begin it with. You're not a, a, a dirty ruby. You have intrinsic worth, and another person, and your attachment to another person, and your relationship to another person, that can't improve your intrinsic value. Aspects of yourself, and you you can learn and you can grow with another person. But another person can't improve your intrinsic value. That's yours. And that can't be diminished by any aspect of your behaviour. So there's no such thing as a gem pulled from the dirt. You're just a gem. We're all gems with intrinsic worth. And you can shine bright as you want. Without another person shining a fucking torch behind that. You know what I mean? But again. It's... it's elements of your language it's it's like i can tell you know this shit to be true otherwise you wouldn't fucking write it down when you say he makes me feel as though i'm the rarest of gems pulled from the dark to be allowed to shine bright in this dull world that tells me that you're placing your self-worth in this relationship that your sense of worth isn't coming from inside that your sense of feeling good about yourself is dependent upon the love and approval of this other fella. And we all know from listening to that podcast that, again, that's an unrealistic position, you know? And I know it's hard. I know it's fucking difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. But if if you place your worth in, in a relationship, you, you can't... You, it's hard then to have equal footing. Two people have to exist together as shining diamonds alongside each other on a journey. But if one diamond is dirty and re- requires the other person to polish it, there's already a weird power dynamic going on in there. Which is a, t- a toxic cycle. So, 
should you stay with him? I'm not going to tell you that. How the fuck am I supposed to know? I don't know him. Um, you know, did he did, did he cheat on you once and that's it? I don't know. What I'd be looking at there is... If, clearly from your language, right, and this is your own words, if you feel like a dirty gem and that your proximity, that, that he's somehow pulled you, he has pulled you from the dirt and allowed you to shine, that all this language that you're using, which is handing your worth and power over to another person, right, if that is is your internal feeling, okay, then... How do you truly know if if what you have then is love or is it merely a feeling of safety and assurance and, and, and external worth? Do you get me? It's like the lens. Do you know what's dirty? Not you as a gem, but the lens that you're looking through to assess what is it is a genuine human connection with another person because that becomes difficult when your self-worth appears to depend upon this person's love and approval then the lens through which you can assess what an actual loving long-term human connection is that lens is now distorted so an adult relationship right is where two people an adult relationship is where Two people can exist separately, right? Separately as independent adults with each of you having your own intrinsic worth, your in, each of you having your own internal sense of, sense of self-esteem, each of you having the autonomy in a relationship to each have a separate sen- separate identity, to be have the confidence to be separate from each other but at the same time come together fluidly. But, like, if things like jealousy, envy, all these things come into a relationship between two people, then that means there's there's a an unequal footing in this weird kind of toxic cycle. Do you know? So, I, I don't know what I can... I'm not going to tell you what to do. What, what I can do is I can point out some of your language, which I think you know, where... You're placing yourself worth being in this relationship, and in which what you got to do is work on, work on your self worth, intrinsic value, intrinsic value, and and sometimes what what can happen too. Sometimes there's a there's a pattern. Sometimes people can find themselves drawn towards relationships where the where the other partner cheats, and people, some people feel that like oh I just get cheated on a lot and they keep seeking these relationships where their partner cheats all the time and are not just cheating some people can repeatedly find themselves in relationships with people and the same negative shit happens over and over with different people and often what that is 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 when your self esteem is, is low you miss the warning signs you miss the red flags, you miss the warning signs and you could even be drawn towards the negativity as some weird type of unconscious self-flagellation and the key out of that cycle is genuine self-esteem and self-worth and when you have genuine self-esteem and self-worth your capacity and ability to spot when someone else is on a different journey and when someone else isn't right for you or when someone else might be bad for you when you have that real genuine a grounded sense of self. What it means is that your lens for viewing other people is now healthy. And you can spot the person who's going to be manipulative. Or you can spot the person who might be a cheater. Do you know what I mean? You don't miss the signals. And you tend to want to be drawn towards someone who's healthier. And that healthiness tends to mean two people being able to exist autonomously while also being a couple you don't have to change any aspect of who you are to keep another person happy now you can change aspects of your behavior all right that's i mean when people become couples you learn and grow 
and your worldview changes, your taste in music can change because you're learning with another person. But if you're changing parts of yourself because you're, you want approval or scared of disapproval, then that's a weird imbalance. So I think you know the answers to the question you fucking asked me, Julie. I think you know the answers. I know by the way you wrote, wrote it down. But what you want is to have those reflected back at you. Look at your own fucking question. Look at your own fucking question, honestly. All right? Because the answers are in there. You've written them down. And anyone listening, don't be getting pissed off at me saying, Blind Boy is, is pro-cheater. Blind Boy, Blind Boy loves cheaters. No. What I'm saying is that uh, ex- human existence contains rejection, disappointment, all these things. These are unavoidable tenets of human existence. People are going to lie to you. People are going to cheat on you. People are going to manipulate you. People who love you are going to do this. And it's all part of the complex tapestry of being a human. And what I'm saying is we can't create rigid rules about it because rigid rules aren't realistic. So what you do is you move to strong preferences. I have a strong preference that I don't get lied to. I have a strong preference that I don't get manipulated. Can you have a strong preference that you don't get rejected? You can't really have that because people people are entitled to reject you. People aren't entitled to manipulate you. People aren't entitled to lie to you. But people are entitled to reject you. You know what I mean? So there you go. That's nice and cheerful. Time now for the shaker pause. I'm going to shake a little lunchbox full of popcorn kernels. And you're going to hear an advert for some bullshit. Alright? Here we go. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That was the shaker pause so you didn't get startled by a digital advert. Sometimes there's sponsorship on this podcast, sometimes there isn't. Um, The podcast is sponsored by you, the listener, via the Patreon page, right? This is a 100% independent podcast. No one pulls my strings, no one tells me what to do. Because this podcast is listener-funded... I don't have to rely upon advertisers. I can tell advertisers to go fuck themselves if they try and control the content of this or if they try and get me to advertise something I'm not cool with advertising. So the way you can support the podcast is patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast. If you're listening to this podcast regularly and you're taking something from it, just consider paying me for the work that I'm doing if you're consuming it. And all I'm looking for is the price of a pint or the price of a cup of coffee once a month patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast sign up and become a patron um, if you can't afford it you don't have to you can listen for free and then someone else pays for you it's a model based on soundness alright everyone's fucking happy it works fantastically um, but please do consider becoming a patron because I can't gig during the pandemic I'm not going to get any television work my fucking paperback and my book came out. Couldn't sell a load of those because the fucking shops were closed. It's been a bad year for people in my industry. And the podcast is my sole source of income. That's what pays all my bills. So it, when you become a patron, it, it's 
it's a big deal. It's a big deal for me. So if you can afford it, if you're working, if the pandemic has like meant that you're not paying petrol to go to work anymore, just give me the price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month if you're consuming this and enjoying it. All right. And chill out if you can't afford that. You're grand. Um, another way you can support the podcast is j- just everyone. Go and leave a review. Leave a comment on whatever fucking podcast app you're using. If you're using Spotify, like the podcast and fucking follow it. If you're using Apple Podcasts, leave a review, rate the podcast. All that shit is important as well and it costs nothing. Um, If you'd like to see my live streaming, twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast. I live stream three times a week, making music chatting with people it's good crack you can come along and you can talk to me in real time on twitch.tv forward slash the blind by podcast wednesday thursday friday nights guaranteed and then intermittent uh, at the weekends also there's a, a little lottery for patrons if you if you join up on the patreon i pick one person once a month and i draw this person a customized drawing and i send it to them in the post Another question that came in tonight, well, multiple people asked this one question, or variations of this. This was by far the most common question. Um, People wanting me to speak about social anxiety and agoraphobia during COVID, during what we're living in right now. And I don't really have an answer to it because I'm. that's what I'm living right now. That is what I'm living, and that is the number one cause of discomfort in my life right now so what I mean and what people mean when they're asking me this is I've got a history of social anxiety I once suffered from agoraphobia which meant that being in public places was terrifying for me it would trigger anxiety attacks so I would become a recluse I'd stay in my house I wouldn't leave to leave meant possibly getting a panic attack and that was at the time the worst thing that I thought could could happen So I have done huge amounts of personal work on myself to not live the life of someone with agoraphobia. I still have social anxiety because it's it's part of who I am as a person. But it's okay to be socially... I can be socially anxious while still feeling comfortable in social situations and still enjoying being outside. It's just that's not my energy. It's not my comfort zone. But I can step outside the comfort zone and be perfectly happy, happy functioning adult. So I've done tons of work on myself over the years with being in a crowded restaurant, being in a crowded bar and saying to myself, even though you feel anxious, even though you feel afraid, there's actually nothing to be anxious or afraid of. This feeling of anxiety is a fabric of your it's part of your imagination it's irrational you have to challenge it you have to face it down you have to think flexibly and rationally and also alongside agoraphobia and social anxiety you become obsessed with germs not not a given but I would I used to carry hand sanitizer around it myself I used to be mindful of touching door handles because for me it wasn't like I had this terrible fear of, of becoming sick. They were safety behaviours. It was a way to try and control. If I'm going to a pub and this pub is terrifying me, being around people makes me feel like I'm going to have an anxiety attack, then in order to cope, we develop what's known as, in anxiety talk, we develop safety behaviours. So a safety behaviour for me was, like I've got asthma, but it's not that bad. Alright, I haven't gotten an asthma attack since I was a child. But I know my anxiety is bad if I'm carrying my blue inhaler around with me all the time. Because I don't need it. Alright, I don't need my blue inhaler. I need to take that inhaler once a year. And only ever because I fall off the wagon and smoke cigarettes. But if my anxiety is high, I will carry around with me my inhaler. And I have to be mindful of that because the inhaler has nothing to do with my asthma. It has It's a safety behaviour to control and manage my anxiety. And sometimes that is just a distraction. It doesn't deal with the core problem. Hand sanitizer was a way for 
me to manage anxiety. It was a safety behaviour. Ripping the fucking labels off beers. Tearing up beer mats. All safety behaviours. So I would recognise those signs. I would conquer them. I would change my behaviour. I'd change my thoughts. Until I became a functioning member of society. Now because of fucking coronavirus. All the triggers and red flags. That would have been conducive with me being in a, a state of mental unhealth. Are now a rational part of existence. <clears throat> when I go to a restaurant. I'm fearful of people. When I'm in a restaurant. I feel anxious. And I'm hyper aware of where people are. What they're doing. And I feel unsafe. And I feel afraid. The thing is. I can't use CBT on that. Because. I should be afraid and I should be wary because there's a pandemic and I have to maintain social distance and people might be carrying coronavirus. So I, it is, it is rational for me to be in a restaurant and to be anxious of people and that's weirdly triggering for me because I've done so much work on myself to challenge exactly that thought because in an in a non-pandemic situation that would be irrational in a non-pandemic situation it's like so what you're going to catch a cold and you might what are you doing afraid of people why do you care where they are i would challenge all these thoughts and i've had to rewire my brain so when i'm in a restaurant the anxiety that i feel no it's not anxiety because anxiety is unhealthy what I feel, I feel a healthy amount of caution and a healthy amount of fear because it's a rational response to human beings in a pandemic. So the negative, unhelpful emotions that come in, I, I feel a lot of shame. I'm feeling a lot of shame recently. So when I sit in a restaurant and feel anxiety because of people, I feel shame that the feelings that remind me of my social anxiety are coming back so I now have to be use CBT on the sense of shame by which I mean like I was in a restaurant the other day because I wanted to have a nice lunch I wanted to get out of my house I wanted to sit down I wanted to have a nice fucking lunch and I'm sitting there and I'm not enjoying my dinner because I don't think that the man beside me is is two metres distance and now my dinner is not enjoyable because he's not two metres away. A year ago, if I would have said that exact sentence to a counsellor, they would be very concerned. Um, and they would, they'd be, they'd be investigating that with counselling or recommending medication. If outside of a pandemic situation, how was your lunch blind boy? I couldn't enjoy my chicken because I was concerned that the man beside me was not within the two meter limit outside of a pandemic that is red flag shit that's how i used to think at the height of my anxiety okay but now it's that's how i have to think and it's how i should think ways that were once dysfunctional ways of thinking and relating to other people that were once dysfunctional are now fully functional but for me then that brings on shame the shame of regressing even though i'm not and that's a that's that's a tough one. I'm not regressing back to anxiety. What I'm actually doing is behaving appropriately and cautiously for my safety and other people's safety. But my brain doesn't recognize it as that. My brain says, "Ah, oh, that's it now. All the hard work you've done on social anxiety, you're returning back to it, man. You're worried about someone being two meters away from you." Or finding myself and th this is another one that really fucking pisses me off and makes me feel shame and makes me feel frustration is simply giving a fuck about what strangers are doing when I had mental health issues when I had depression and I ha had anxiety if I went to a pub or I went to a restaurant I can't exist as, as a confident being I can't, like, 
when I had bad anxiety, I'd be sitting in, in a pub or anywhere public and, and you, you, you'd look across at a stranger and you might feel contempt for them. You might feel angry. You might convince yourself that that person has got opinions about you. All of a sudden, you're concerned with strangers, what they're doing. You're, you're feeling strong emotions about strangers. You're projecting thoughts into their head. That person thinks they're fucking great. Look at them with their cool clothes. Or I bet they think I'm a piece of shit. Why are they staring at me? With no evidence. Because I'm in a state of mental unhealth. And this is how I used to be when I had bad anxiety, when I had bad depression. Okay? Concerned and heavily emotionally invested with toxic emotions for fucking strangers. And then when I got to a place of mental health and high self-esteem, then it, it becomes all compassion. I sit in a pub and restaurant and I see someone sitting across the way and I have the self-esteem and personal boundaries to allow that person to exist. I don't give a fuck about their pants. I don't care about what they're reading. I'm not making assumptions or judgments about their character. I'm not projecting into their heads negative opinions that they have of me. I'm simply, I'm here in the restaurant. I'm having a good time. And I'm looking at everybody around me with positivity. And, and they are allowed to have their boundaries to be separate human beings. I can't do that anymore in the coronavirus pandemic because I'm consistently judging people on whether their behaviour is within the best practices of safety. So when I walk down the road, when I'm, I'm, I'm on my run, and my run is for my mental health, I fucking love my run. But I'm running, all right, trying to listen to music, trying to get into that meditative, beautiful fucking state of running, the dragon that I'm chasing. And 50 metres ahead of me are two people walking towards me. And they're, they don't look like they're going to get out of the way and give me the two metres that I'm affording them. So now that 50 metres of running is me in my head slightly irritated with two fucking strangers. And then I pass them and I say to myself, you fucking pricks, you selfish pricks. Are you, gonna tr- are you trying to kill us all with your coronavirus? Did you not see me coming? You're, not sub- you're supposed to get out of the way when I come. We're supposed to give each other social distance. Why didn't you do it? So now that's three minutes of my run. For instead of being mindful, being meditative, enjoying my run, being in the here and now, I'm now angry with strangers. And I can't CBT that away because I should be angry with strangers. It's okay for me to be irritated with people who aren't respecting social distance because they could kill someone. And I don't know how to use my psychology on that I don't know how to use my self help techniques on that but then then I feel shame I feel shame because I know that outside of a pandemic no pandemic if I'm going on a run and I'm worried about where other people are standing on the footpath and I take that to my counsellor that's a red flag I'm going back into all patterns of anxiety my selfish what that would tell me outside of a pandemic if I'm feeling angry about strangers, that's my self-esteem. That's me projecting a bunch of shit. But ultimately, it all ends up with me being unhappy. So these are the fucking challenges that I'm facing and that a ton of other people are facing regarding mental health and coronavirus. And I know from all the messages I'm getting. Um, and I don't know what to do with it. It's definitely... It, it is taking a toll on me. I'm... I'm fe- I'm what am I feeling right now? It's six months into it, lads. I'm feeling fed up. Okay? Now I'm not not gonna come on here and, and be unnecessarily negative and make things shit for ye. But I'm fed up. Alright? That that's what I can say. Six months I, I can say I'm fed up of coronavirus. I want spontaneity. It's making me realise too, I'm a, I'm a hugely introverted person. I don't leave my house very much. I don't do a huge amount of socialising. But I certainly realise I've taken for granted 
the importance that human interaction has had in my life. I can't have meaningful, spontaneous connections anymore. The closest I had, I can't remember if I even mentioned this, I can't remember if I said this on Twitch or if I said it on the podcast, but I appeared on a guest podcast recently with a friend of mine, Alison Spittle. She's a comedian, and she herself and Farn Brady, and I did a Zoom call for their podcast. And... I ended up feeling sad afterwards. And it's like, why do I feel fucking, what's that about? I just had a lovely chat with Alison and Farron. And then I realised, ah, fuck. It reminded me of bumping into someone I hadn't seen in a while, having a pint and having a spontaneous conversation. It reminded me of that. And that's what's gone. Spontaneity is what I miss I want to go day drinking. I want to meet someone in a smoking area. I want to do these these things that I took for granted. And I want little human interactions. I want to meet someone I haven't seen in a while. I want to hug people. I want to do unplanned. Compassion and intimacy. That's what it is. Unplanned compassion and fucking intimacy. When you meet someone that you haven't seen in a while or even if you chat to a stranger in a fucking smoking area you shake someone's hand it's it's unplanned compassion and intimacy and I've never in my life been in a situation where that's been taken away now it's been taken away and I understand how valuable that is to my mental health and to how my thought processes work to my creativity to everything and all other interactions are planned I can schedule a zoom call with a friend I can ring someone up. I can do all this. But it's all planned. And it's cautious. And the spontaneity is gone. The humanity of that is gone. So that shit has me fed up, you know. Um, How do I deal with it? I mean, I'm coping. Of course I'm coping. I know I'm coping because even amongst all that, I do have my mental health. <clears throat> It's okay to be fed up. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be angry. It's when these things become unhealthy and they start to influence into into, into, into destructive behaviours or destructive emotions. That's when you've got mental health issues. I don't have that because I'm absolutely coping. But it's okay for me to acknowledge I'm fed up at the moment. I'm disappointed. I What I don't need to be feeling is shame. That's irrational, that's dysfunctional. It's not conducive with reality. I, I should not feel shame. Um, because fucking being inside in pubs is reminding me of what it was like when I had anxiety. That's no cause for shame. So I have to analyse and take responsibility for the part of myself that's feeling shame. And how do you tackle shame? Self-compassion. And a good way to access self-compassion is is to be compassionate for other people. If or, or animals, if 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 you are kind and loving to another person or another animal, th- that act of of in interpersonal compassion opens you up a little bit to intrapersonal compassion, which is compassion for yourself. And compassion for yourself. Sometimes a, a, an easy way into compassion for yourself as well as you think of yourself as a little child. You know, you, you think of yourself as a little toddler <clears throat> and you say nice things to yourself. You, you, instead, of thinking, instead of me thinking of me feeling shame, I imagine myself as, as three years of age feeling shame and that's easier then for me to... What I need to do is I need to move. I, I tell myself in my head... There's no reason for you to feel shame. You're being too hard on yourself. Um, allow yourself fallibility. Allow yourself love. It's easier to do that when I imagine that I'm a little kid, if you get me. So we've got another question here. This is another one where I don't know. I think the person knows the answer and it's one that I don't really have the answer to, but I think I'm going to read it out. Uh, this is from Annette, not not Annette's real name. 
My partner had an affair. We broke up. He spent lockdown with her in Kerry. Came back home to Dublin when it was lifted. He goes down to her every weekend. We still live together. In Dublin and rented accommodation. I can't move out. He can't move out. We're stuck in the same place. Right, so that's... You need to you need to have a contract or something. You need you need a strong agreement there. That's he's been a bit of a fucking goal there. You know what I mean? Like, all right, two things. So you're in rented accommodation. You both can't move out because it's. I understand it's Dublin. It's renting. So now, essentially, against your will. You're, both of you are living together in a house but you're broken up with each other he's had an affair and now he's gone down to Kerry to your one and coming back up you need to have a fucking contract man if you're entitled if him doing this is really really hurtful and even though if you're fucking broken up and you're still living together you're entitled to honestly say to him <clears throat> this is really hurtful you going down each weekend it's also not safe it's fucking coronavirus what's he doing man Dublin to Kerry every weekend come on we know we, we can't be doing that shit everyone knows you can't be doing that shit that's not safe that's so there's there's that I wouldn't even pull that one out you need a fucking contract and an agreement because you don't... Here's the thing. You don't have agency. If if because of the rent situation, because of accommodation in Dublin, you are living in a house with this person, you now don't... You don't have agency. So, normally, what are you going to do? If the relationship is broken up, alright, you get the fuck away, and if he wants to go down to your one... At least you don't know about it. The relationship is broken up. That's his business. But if you're living there, and this is a repeated thing every weekend, and you know he's gone down to Kerry, and it's hurting you, you're entitled there to have emotional boundaries and entitled to say, I know we're broken up, all right? And I know you're free to go down to your fucking, to your new girlfriend. I know this stuff. But... It's still really fucking hurtful. And in light of me not having the agency to move out. Or you not having the agency to move out. Do we really need to continue. Do you need to continue operating in this way. Which is incredibly hurtful to me. And that would be a conversation that needs to happen there. A contract. Because that doesn't sound fair to me. You don't have the option to turn away from that you don't have the option to turn away from it that's not that's that's not nice that's not nice and most people would say that he he's behaving in a way there that's selfish and cruel okay you you need to have a contract and you need to let him know that's hurtful as fuck And he he shouldn't be doing it anyway with coronavirus. You you can't be doing that. You can't be going out to carry every fucking weekend to meet someone during coronavirus. It's just it's you, you could be dragging it up and down the country. No one should be doing that really. To be honest, it's, it's not essential. That's a tough one, Annette. That's a tough one. Thank you for sharing that one. But that's what I'd say. A, a sit down and a contract. About what's okay and what's not. And your feelings are valid. And you're entitled. You're entitled to have that discussion. Because you can't fucking. You don't have agency. So. That's what I'd say there. So we're coming up to an hour now. I've only answered three questions. As as is always the case. I promise myself I'm going to answer ten questions. And I end up answering three. But. Apologies if I didn't get around to your question, but I do feel that the three that I answered, I gave them a lot of thought. 
alright and I hope that you got some solace from him or insight I got some insight myself so next week I'll be back with a hot take I imagine I wanted to keep this week's episode quite pedestrian quite easily quite accessible I get asked questions I answer them we speak about the human condition because I've got new listeners who've arrived from seeing me on Joe Duffy on RTE1 and I don't think they need the full bizarre assault of a hot take we'll save that for them alright God bless mind yourself have some self compassion be sound rub a dog rub a cat rub a cat if you can and I'll talk to you next week Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.